of Acts, which what we're studying on Sunday mornings, has such a great potential because it records for us the spread of Christianity into all the world. It's hard to measure the impact not only of the influence of Christianity, but the fact that the Lord's church has grown and gone into many places where you and I have had the privilege of being. Uh, Someone many years ago brought the gospel to Tennessee. And many of us heard that message, perhaps through the encouragement of our parents, or maybe because someone loved us enough to teach us the gospel and provide for us the directions that we need. But I will tell you, as you reflect back on the book of Acts, it was an exciting time. You know, in Acts chapter 2, verse 41, it says that there were added to them that day about 3,000 souls. You go to Acts chapter 4, verse 4, and there were about 5,000 men. And as we will study today, there were multitudes both of men and women who were obeying the gospel. It had to be an exciting time, but it was marked with confrontation and danger. Anytime you want to do something great for the Lord, you want to be diligent in His service, there will be somebody who will be standing in your way. The devil always has those people willing to do his bidding to try to confront and to try to stop our preaching and teaching and working to grow the Lord's kingdom. The apostles, though, had a decision to make. Are we going to try to please God or are we going to try to please men? As Brother David read for us just a few moments ago from Acts chapter 5 verse 29, we must obey God rather than men. Paul made that decision as he spoke to the Galatians in chapter 1 and verse 10. For do I now persuade men or God or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. You and I have to realize, we either make the choice, we're going to try to go along and get along with this world, or we're going to be something different, somebody different, as we serve the Lord. So this morning, we're going to look at three things from Acts. Some will be from chapter 4, most of it from chapter 5. We're going to look at a clash of ideals. There's really a clash going on in this passage. Then we're going to see how the gospel is confronted when those people who don't like what is being taught, how they attempt to stop it and how the gospel will continue. And then the third part, a challenge for the future. That's how you and I apply what we have learned from this passage. Chapter 3. Peter and John are going into the temple at the gate called Beautiful. There's a man there who has been lame from his mother's womb. We learn later he's about 40 years of age. And we know that Peter said to him, We do not have silver and gold, but what we have we'll give you in the name of Jesus Christ to rise up and walk. The man immediately leaps and starts walking. And the influence of that takes place throughout the temple area we do know that that produced some great conflict with the Sadducees. Who are the Sadducees? What did they believe? And how does the Bible show this great clash? 
what we do know is they controlled the priesthood. They were the ones who were the high priest and the others of the priestly family. Listen to Acts 5, verse 17. Then the high priest rose up and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation. We learn further that they had clashed with Jesus earlier. Uh, I wish I could spend a little more time, but let me just make point of Matthew chapter 16, verse 6. Or we'll, uh, we'll, verse 6, he'll said, Then he, Jesus said to them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Evidently, the apostles thought that he was talking about bread. You know, when you talk about leaven, you think about the yeast in it that causes it to rise. But verse 11, how is it that you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread? But beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he spoke to them to beware of the le- not the leaven of bread, but the doctrine of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Now that doctrine was very plainly... They didn't believe in the spirit realm. They didn't believe that man has a spirit in him that God gave him, which we sometimes call the soul. They did not believe that there were anything such as angels, nor did they believe that there would be a resurrection of the dead. Listen to Luke chapter 20, verse 27. Then some of the Sadducees who deny there is a resurrection came to him and asked him, The parallel account found in Matthew chapter 22, there's a question about a man. He dies and he hasn't reared any children. The Old Testament Leverett Law allowed the brother to marry his wife and raise up children. Seven men then married this same woman. And their question was, in the resurrection, whose wife shall she be? For all seven had her. And Jesus said, you do err not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. For in the resurrection there shall need be, either, be neither marriage nor giving in marriage. In Acts 23, verse 8, For Sadducees say there is no resurrection, nor angel, or spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. I want you to imagine who these people, they were materialist. They didn't believe in the life beyond. They believed in what you could get now. That's the reason why many of them were all about the money that they could acquire. Their religion was a religion of today, not one of tomorrow. But you see, on the other side, you had the apostles. And these same apostles clearly believed and taught that Jesus Christ had risen from the dead. Here you've got people say there's no such thing, and then you have the apostles say that we saw it. Listen to Acts 2 verse 24. Whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Chapter 2 verse 32. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Chapter 3 verse 15. And kill the prince of life whom God raised from the dead of which we are witnesses. You say, I know what's going to happen. There's going to be a collision course. This clash of ideals, those who are in control of the priesthood say, there is no resurrection. The apostles, 
are saying, we know what happened, we saw it. Listen to Acts 4, verses 1 and 2. Now as they spoke to the people, the priest, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Y'all see the, the conflict that's happening here? Do you see why there's such a clash of ideals? It's just like when sometimes we're talking with our friends and neighbors and other religions and we say the Bible teaches you must be baptized for the remission of your sins. And your religious neighbor over here says, no, you don't have to be baptized for the remission of sins. One of us is right. One of us is wrong. And so you see the clash of ideals. But now when I get to chapter 4, I begin to see this confrontation that's going to take place. It's not just that they have two ideas, but these ideas are going to come together and there's going to be a a real confrontation. Look with me at Acts chapter 4, verse 3. And they laid their hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. These Sadducees who are in control of the priesthood, and I would suggest to you also in control of the Jewish council, the the Sanhedrin, they're in control of the temple area. Here these apostles are preaching in the temple. What's going to take place? You can't preach that here. And they put them in the common prison. You go to Acts chapter 4 and look at verses 14 through 21. There's no way for them to deny what the apostles have done. All they can do is threaten them and intimidate them. Read with me now. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. Now pause for just a moment there. If I had the Lord Jesus standing here and I said, Jesus... What does the Bible teach or what is your will about a person being baptized? And Jesus himself says, you must be born again. Didn't you read that in John 3, verses 3 through 5? If Jesus said clearly, plainly, you must be baptized, and one of us now knows that the truth. Here is the man that had been healed. He's standing with them. Verse 15, but when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves saying, what shall we do to these men? For indeed that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem and we cannot deny it. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them that they, from now on, they speak to no man in this name. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all or teach in the name of Jesus. Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you judge. For we cannot speak the things we have, but speak the things we have seen and heard. So when they had threatened them again, 
They let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people, since they glorified God what had been done. These people here, what are they doing? There's a confrontation. They don't know what to say. They don't know what to do. Because they're on the wrong side. There's a confrontation with the truth. I want you to imagine these apostles having been let go. What are they going to do? They're going to go to God and they're going to pray for boldness. God, give us the strength to be able to stand up. Stand up strong when we ought to stand. And verse 29. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants with all boldness that we may speak your word stretching out your hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, listen, when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Here you are, they're gathered together, they're in a prayer meeting. What are they doing? God, give us boldness. What does God do? He shakes the building. He fills those apostles with the Holy Spirit. And then they speak with boldness. Maybe if we prayed to God more fervently, we would be more bold in what we ought to do. What could they do with confident men who knew what they had seen? Well, now let's go to chapter 5. When you get to chapter 5, there's a second confrontation. They've been threatened. They've been told you don't speak anymore in this name. But look with me at chapter 5, verse 14. And the believers were increasingly added to the Lord multitudes both of men and women, 3,000, 5,000 men, chapter 4, verse 4. Now multitudes of men and women, the church is growing, not just by hundreds, by thousands. What a tremendous movement this has become. And there's got to be another confrontation that takes place. Frustrated, the Sadducees decide we're just going to put them back in prison again. You read verses 17 and 18. Then the high priest rose up and all those who were them, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. We told these guys to be quiet. They won't be quiet. In fact, they're out there in that temple. They're preaching. They're teaching We'll just throw them in prison. Well, guess what happens? The name of the Lord turns them loose. And guess what they do? The next day, they're right back in that temple, and they're preaching and they're teaching again. Look at verse 26. Then the captain went with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should be stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying... Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Now pause there for just a second. 
You intend to bring this man's blood on us. Were they not the ones who stood before Pilate and said, Let his blood be upon us and our children? Yes, they were. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers. Don't miss that. The God of our fathers. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob raised up Jesus whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to the right hand to be prince and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and plotted to kill them. Threatening didn't work. Imprisonment didn't work. You can't deny what they're doing. All we can do is just to try to kill these people. Gamaliel stood up among the council and said to them very plainly, he said, and when they agreed that With him they had called for the apostles and beaten them. And they commanded they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily and in the temple and every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. You can't keep these men quiet. They know what they believe. They know what they saw. They know God is on their side. And there's a confrontation. Now, having presented that, let's talk about a challenge for the future. The message of the cross is still confrontational with materially minded folks. You and I are in a battle to tell people that Jesus is the Christ, that the church is his body, that this is the way to go to heaven. When Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes unto the Father except through me, John chapter 14, verse 6, the world is saying all we are interested in is what we can get in the here and the now. There's still Sadducees among us. Listen to Paul as he speaks to the Corinthians. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are saved, it's the power of God. There are many people to whom we preach that they look at what we're doing as a waste of our time, a waste of our resources. In Acts 17, verse 18, Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him, And some said, what does this babbler want to say? Others, he seemed to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. There's a lot of our friends, maybe even some of our own families, who look at us and say, why are you wasting your time going to church on Sunday, doing what you're doing? In 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 3 through 5, For we spent enough of our past lifetime doing the will of the Gentiles. We walked in lewdness and lust and drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. 
In regard to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Oh yes, people are going to look at us and think we're strange. We're odd because we're thinking about the future. The old phrase is, we're a Christian nation. We haven't been for quite some time. Because the religion of our country is humanism. Humanism says man is the measure of all things. And we have become people who worship the man. We, we worship ourselves. We've exchanged the creator for the creature, as Paul would speak of in Romans chapter 1. The Humanist Manifesto 2 on pages 16 and 17 says this. Promises of immortal salvation or fear of eternal damnation are both illusory and harmful. They distract humans from present concerns, from self-actualization, from rectifying social injustices. Modern science discredits the historic concepts of a ghost in the machine or a separable soul. Rather, science affirms that the human species is an emergence from natural evolutionary forces. As far as we know, the total personality is a function of the biological organism transacting in a social and cultural context. There is no credible evidence that life survives the death of the body. What are they saying? You only go around once in life, get everything you can get out of it. What the Bible says is prepare to meet your God. Will men be focused on the here and the now or will we be looking to the future? Proverbs chapter 10 verse 5, He who gathers in summer is a wise son. He who sleeps in harvest is a son that causes shame. You want me to tell you how that applies? People who don't think about the future, don't plan for the future, will suffer the consequences for failing to plan. You don't put about something when it's harvest time, what's going to happen is you'll be hungry in winter. Proverbs 20 verse 4, the lazy man will not plow because of winter. He will beg during harvest and have nothing. Isaiah 55 verses 6 and 7, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. What do you realize? There's a time in which you and I have that we can call upon God. There will be a time when you can't. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. For those of us who claim to be children of God, we are not to allow ourselves to be too attracted by the world and all it has to offer. Paul would write, If you were then raised together with Christ, seek the things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above and not on things on the earth. There will continue to be varied responses to the message. When you and I talk to some people, they're going to look at us as if we're crazy. Others we will speak to and they will be angry at us. In Acts 17, verses 31 and 32, when Paul went to Athens, he went on an appointed day. He talked about God judging the world. Verse 32, and when they heard the resurrection of the dead, 
Some mocked. Others said, we will hear you again on the matter. You know, the Lord's church has got to grow. But to do that, we've got to preach the gospel. If we preach the gospel, some will turn away from it. They will not hear us. But there are some who will say, you know what, I'm interested in that. I want to hear some more about that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 through 15, Paul's talking about the resurrection of the dead. I want to just draw your attention to verse 19. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most pitiable. If everything that you have is what you have in this life, I feel sorry for you. Because all of this will go away. All of it. Every piece of technology that we enjoy, every graciousness of food that we eat, the very clothes that we wear are all meant to be temporary. It's the soul that is eternal. You know, you need to be making a decision on the basis of the truth. Either Jesus Christ rose from the dead or he did not. We have credible men who said, we saw him, we know he rose from the dead. You need to make your decision on the basis of truth. The apostles were confident men who sought to persuade the people of the truth of Jesus and the resurrection. And as I studied the book of Acts, sermon in chapter 2, sermon in chapter 3, preaching and teaching and confrontation in chapters 4 and 5, it's that same message that keeps coming through. Jesus Christ and Him crucified, risen from the dead. Are you prepared for eternity? There's some of you sitting here this morning. You know you need to be baptized. You know what you need to do. You've just been putting it off. You've been letting these opportunities pass. And yet this morning could be different. This could be the morning that you say, I know what I need to do. When we sing the invitations, I'll come down here. We'll work with you to allow you to make your confession that you believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We'll do what the Bible teaches. You can be baptized for the remission of your sins. And then as we talked about Wednesday night, then you can sing the song, Oh, happy day when Jesus washed my sins away. If you're a Christian and you need to come home, you know what you need to do. It's just your choice to do it. Would you come as together we stand and sing?